Today's scripture reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 30. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Very good. Thank you, George. Well, church, go ahead and take a seat. My heart is full. It's been a good time of worship already. And I want us to continue in worship by taking our Bibles and turning to the passage that George just read, the book of Romans, chapter 8. This doesn't need to be said, but I'm going to say it anyway. This is a great passage of Scripture. And to be honest, I was, I was a little nervous this week preaching about this passage, not just because it's, you know, uh, a great passage and I wanted to do it justice, but, you know, the Lord, whenever I teach something from the Bible, I oftentimes go through a, an experience throughout the week. The Lord gives me, you know, kind of like a, an enacted parable, so to speak. So as I was studying this last week, all things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I was thinking to myself, oh no, what is the Lord going to do this week? Some, some horrible thing, you know, some illustration that I can use on Sunday. A car wreck, maybe, flooded basement, trip to the hospital, Nothing bad happened this week that I know of, not to me. But even if something did, even if my very life and health was taken from me this last week, even if I went through the valley of the shadow of death, and I experienced, let's say, what Job experienced in the Old Testament, I know in the depth of my being that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I know that in the depth of my being. Do you know that? Do you know that? And just so you know, you know, if you called me, something horrible happened to you this week and you called me up, you said, Pastor Tony, something horrible happened. Can you come? Can you pray with me? I want you to know if I go over and I pray with you, I'm not going to lead with Romans 8, 28, okay? I'm not going to quote this verse insensitively. What I'm going to do first with you is weep and grieve. You remember Job's friends, Bildad, Zophar, Eliphaz, you know the best thing they did for Job is they sat and they wept with him for seven days and they just mourned with him. When they started talking, nothing good happened from that. So I, I you know, God forbid something happens and I come this week and I need to comfort you. I'm going to weep. I'm going to grieve. And eventually, eventually, maybe after seven days, 
I want to assure you of Romans 8:28. I want you to know that through anything and everything that you experience in this life, God is going to use that for good. And you know what? That makes everything that we go through tolerable in this world that's not all good. Paul is not naive. This is not Pollyannish here. Paul knows that there is not good in our world. That's not what he says, that everything's good. He's saying that God will work everything for good. And I want you to know that today, and I want you to feel that in the depth of your being before we're done. So here we go, Harvest Decatur. Romans 8, 26 through 30. I want to give you this morning five points from five verses. Let's go. Here's the first one. God helps you in your weakness. Paul tells us that God helps you in your weakness. The title for this message today is God's work in your life. And I want to show you five ways that God is working in your life, even right now, to help you and to strengthen you. Today, I, you know, honestly, I just want you to sit back and be encouraged by this. This is God's work. We're going to talk about what God does for you here today, okay? This is not about what you do for, for God. This is what God does for you. So just receive this. Just rest in this. The first thing that God does is he helps you. He helps us in our weakness. Paul says in verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, the Spirit helps us. The Greek word for helps here is the word sunanti lambanomai. I won't make you say that out loud, but it's a good word. Sunanti lambanomai. When the Beatles were singing, help, I need somebody, they were thinking this. They were thinking this word, but they just couldn't work it into the song. They couldn't. It's too long. Man, when your wife asks you for help. You know what she means? She means, soon, Auntie Lambanomai, I need your help. You gotta help me. So, ladies of Harvest Decatur, memorize this word, this Greek word, and use it with your husbands so they know. This word means to come to the aid of. It means to be of assistance to. This is the word that's used of Martha when she told Jesus. Can you believe that? She told Jesus. She told Jesus to tell her sister Mary, come help me. She needs to help me. This is the same words that's used of Moses in the Septuagint, in the LXX of the Old Testament, when he was overwhelmed by the Israelites and God brought some faithful judges to come alongside of him and bear his burden. Soon, antilambanomai, to help him. Paul says, when you are weak, when you are helpless, when you are beat as a Christian, when you are strength depleted, the Holy Spirit will help you. The Holy Spirit will, will help you. The Holy Spirit is described by Jesus as our helper. John 14, verse 6, the paraclete. What does he help us with, Pastor Tony? Well, look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Anybody been there before? Not sure what to pray for? But the Spirit intercedes for us. And just remember the context here. I know it, it's been a while since we've been in Romans 8. It's been months. And when we were in Romans 8 last, we were looking at how Paul is unpacking 
the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and the Holy Spirit does amazing things for us. Paul says previously in verse 13 that the Holy Spirit helps us put to death the deeds of the flesh inside of us. That's good. The Holy Spirit bears witness inside of us that we are the children of God, verses 16 and 17. That's good. The Holy Spirit initiates groaning even inside of us as we wait longingly for eternity, our future inheritance and the redemption of our bodies, verse 23. The Holy Spirit is good, isn't he? Aren't you glad you have the Holy Spirit inside of you? By the way, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Faith in Christ, Holy Spirit. No faith in Christ, no Holy Spirit. It's that simple. That's part of Paul's argument here. And now, Paul says, there's more. There's more that the Holy Spirit does for you. In verse 26, he helps us cry out to God when we are weak. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit helps the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, groanings too deep for words. And two questions here. What is our weakness and what are these groanings? Let's talk about this. I know you got questions. Let's talk about our weakness. Our weakness is our susceptibility to our flesh. We are weak in our present state Our weakness is also our inability to articulate to God our deepest need in prayer and to even know what to pray. As I was watching that video on Voice of the Martyrs, watching these Christians dying in other parts of the world, I've been listening to that all week in Nigeria and other places. How do I pray for them, Lord? I don't even know what to pray. And, And God says here that the Spirit helps us. We are too weak. We don't even know how to pray, and God helps us to pray. And sometimes, you know, we don't pray the right things. I've been guilty of that. Thank God for unanswered prayers, right? Thank God that some of the things that I prayed for haven't come true. So I'll just give you an example. Sometimes we pray for our sickness and we pray, Lord, heal my sickness. And we think that that's got to be God's top priority to fix me and fix this sickness. But maybe God's top priority is to use that sickness to humble you and to teach you how fragile you are. God's been known to do that. I'll give you another example. We pray sometimes for God to fix our kids. Ever prayed that prayer? We pray that, and I think you should pray that, and there's nothing wrong with praying that, but sometimes God's utmost priority is not fixing our kids. It's fixing the kids' parents. So God, the Holy Spirit, is praying even in a deeper way than we understand in those moments when we're praying for what we think is important. And what Paul says here is that even when your prayers miss the mark, because you don't know what to pray, you don't pray as you ought, God, the Holy Spirit inside of you knows what to pray. And his desires, his prayers are in perfect accord with God's will. They are. Let me say it this way. The Holy Spirit never says Deo Valenti. Never. He doesn't need to say that. We need to say that. Because that's the disclaimer for us because we don't know God's will. God the Spirit always knows God the Father's will because the first person of the Trinity is intimately linked with the third person of the Trinity. And he knows how to pray for us. And he prays as Paul says here, with groanings too deep for words. What does that mean, Pastor Tony? Groanings. The Spirit intercedes himself 
for us with groanings too deep for words. Are these audible groanings, Pastor Tony? Does the Holy Spirit inside of me? Maybe, but not necessarily. Is this my audible groaning in light of what the Spirit's doing? Maybe. I've had some moments when I've gotten alone with the Lord and I can't find the words and it's just like, "Mm, God. You ever had a moment like that? The only words you can get out are God or help. I don't think this is necessarily audible though. And actually, the the description here has the idea of inaudible or wordless groaning. The Spirit is inaudibly communing with God the Father and praying on our behalf, even as we pray for other things. And you might say, "That that is awfully mysterious, Pastor Tony. Can you be more precise with what that looks like? No, I cannot. I wish I could. All I have is this scripture and my own experiences and and just the assurance here that even when I don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit inside of me is praying, is groaning, and and the, the Father and the Spirit are connected in terms of will, in terms of prayer. And by the way, let me say this too. Paul, as he's writing this, he's writing this as an encouragement to you. Be encouraged, Harvest Decatur. Be encouraged, okay? He doesn't, he doesn't give you this so that your prayer life will be stifled or that you'll be so mystified you don't even pray. He's saying that even when you pray, even when you don't know what to pray, even when you pray the right, wrong things, the Holy Spirit inside of you knows God's will and is interceding for you. That encourages me to keep praying. He helps us in our weakness. Here's another thing that God does. God intercedes for you. Number two, Paul says in verse 27, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. The he in verse 27 is God the Father. So let me just insert that into this verse for clarity. Verse 27, let me take another run at this. And God the Father who searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit inside of us because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Listen, I'll tell you, I mean, there are some passages in Scripture, I'll just call them, there are doing texts and there are being texts. You know what I mean by that? There, there are certain passages of Scripture that are, tell you to do some stuff. We spent all summer studying the book of James, right? It was like, do this, do that, do this, do this, do that. Get a hold of your tongue, stop showing favoritism, deal with your wealth, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Do, 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 do all this. this. This is not, let's be clear, Romans 8, what we're looking at right here. This is not a doing text. This is a being text. This is a resting text. This is an identity text where where Paul is saying the Holy Spirit inside of you is doing this right now. Rest in that, church, in the midst of your time of prayer. God, the Holy Spirit inside of you knows God's will for your life. And as he prays for you, he is batting a thousand with his prayer request for you. He knows what you need, and he's praying to God the Father for what you need, even when you don't know what you need. I'm encouraged by that. You might say, I don't like that, Pastor Tony. That's too nebulous for me. That's hard to make sense of. I like being in control of my prayers. I I like doing things with my prayer life and seeing them answered, and you know, give me the credit for that. I prayed so hard. This This goes right against that. 
you know, I think that's exactly what Paul wants to teach us here. There are things going on, and, and we'll see this throughout this passage, that God is doing, and you do nothing. You just, you just receive it. <laughs> you just rest in it. And I think this is practical, too. You know, just think about Paul in his own life. You know, do you think Paul wanted to go to prison? Do you think he prayed for that? No. You think Paul wanted to be shipwrecked on Malta? Did he pray for that? I think Paul wanted to be arrested in Jerusalem and held under prison guard for years and years and years. No, I don't think he prayed for that. I don't think Paul wanted rocks to be thrown at him and Barnabas and be left for dead at Lystra. He didn't pray for those things, but God allowed those things to happen in his life. And Paul offers two promises here as these bad things happen in our life. As we go through struggles, as we go through weakness. Two things that God does behind the scene. First of all, God, the Holy Spirit helps us no matter what we deal with. And Paul's life is an enacted parable of that. If something horrible happens, the Holy Spirit helps him, empowers him through it. And then second thing, the second thing that's promised here is that God, the Spirit, will intercede on our behalf in all the things that we go through in life. God, the Holy Spirit assures us that we belong to God. He affirms our salvation, our identity as children of God, and he helps us in our weakness interceding on our behalf. Some of you might say, I mean, let's just talk practically. You might, you might say, well, I don't, Pastor Tony, I don't always feel like God the Holy Spirit is doing that. I, I don't always sense this. God the Spirit helping me and strengthening me. I don't, I don't feel or sense or know that groaning is going on inside of me. Yeah, I... I understand. I don't always feel that either. And that's why we need passages like this. That's why we need assurances like this, promises, so that when our feelings are out of whack with the truth and don't jive with Romans 8, we can come back and say, God is helping me even now. I don't know how, but he's doing that. And he's interceding on my behalf even right now as I'm going through this junk in my life. We need these promises. Here's another thing that God does for you. Another way that God is working in your life even right now. God turns all your bad things into good. It's a good spot for an amen. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, God turns all your bad things into good. Amen? Can I interest you in that, Harvest Decatur? Would you like to know that? That all of the good and all of the bad things in your life God is taking that and God is going to use that for your ultimate good. Hallelujah. I want to know that. Let me say it this way. Let me paint a picture for you. God is embroidering for you a quilt called your life. And made up of this quilt, there are some, 
There are some shades of black and brown and gray, and those gritty colors are being interwoven with brighter colors. And all of those colors and all of those shades are interwoven to create a great tapestry called your life. And it's a good tapestry. The end result is going to be good, even though everything that you go through isn't good. To use Paul's language elsewhere, we are God's workmanship, Ephesians 2. We are God's masterpiece. We are God's redemptive pièce de résistance, okay? We are, God is working all things in our life for good. Now let's read this passage again, Romans 8, 28. I, I never grow tired of reading this passage. Harvesticator, memorize this verse, okay? You're gonna need it. Memorize this verse. You know, all of God's word is inspired by God and authoritative in our lives, right? 2 Timothy 3.16. But I'll just tell you, some, some verses, some passages are more memorable than others. Some are more memorizable than others, okay? This is one of those. And we know that for those who love God, do you love God, Harvest Decatur? Come on now. Do you love God? And by the way, when, when Paul says those who love God, that's shorthand for those who have faith in Christ. So it's not like, mm, Pastor Tony, well, you know, I have faith in Christ, but I don't really love God. You know, I just have the faith. No, that, it doesn't work that way. What is the fruit of the Spirit? What's the first fruit of the Spirit? Love, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. If you, this is Paul's shorthand for faith in Christ. And we know that for those who have faith in Christ, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And you might say, oh yeah, Pastor Tony, what about that miscarriage I went through? Do you know how painful that was for me? How can that be good? What about that time I lost my job, Pastor Tony, and I had to live on unemployment for six months? How can that be good? Do you know, Pastor Tony, what my alcoholic father did to my mother? Do you know the unforgivable things that my mother said to me when I was young? Do you know what my kids have done to me? The, the things that they have said to me, to me, the one who raised them, who loves them. How can that be good, Pastor Tony? How can that be good? Listen, is everybody listening? Do I have your attention? This does not say that all things are good. Paul does not say that. You know why Paul doesn't say that? Because he knows his Bible. And he knows that Genesis 1, God created all things and they were good, 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 good. Everything's good. Genesis 1. He knows that Genesis 1 is followed by Genesis 3. And what Satan did in the garden and the sin of Adam and Eve that brought all kinds of not good on our world and into our lives. He knows that. Paul does not say that everything is good. What does he say? He, said all, he says all things work for good. That is different. God takes the evil in this world and he works it for good. God takes the sin in this world and it goes into the tapestry of your life. And he creates something good with it. God takes Joseph, who was sold into slavery to Egypt. His brothers wanted to kill him. 
And he uses Joseph in that bad thing to bring about a good thing, to restore this family and to save them. God does that kind of stuff. God does that. I heard a pastor say this last week. Let's just do a thought experiment here. I heard him ask this question. What was the worst thing that happened in human history? It was the murder and crucifixion of the Son of God. Also, what was the best thing that happened in human history? It was the murder and crucifixion of the Son of God because that paid the penalty for our sin and gave us an opportunity to live forever. God does that. God does that. If God can take that horrible and monstrous event in our world and create something good at it, good out of it, God can take whatever is horrible, whatever is monstrous in your past, and he can, he, he can use it for good. He can use it for good. Now watch this, because there's another statement here that we need to reckon with. There are two clauses in this statement that are crucial to what Paul is saying here. So and when I memorized this, I was telling George this, this morning when we were praying, when I memorized this as a kid, it was a little different. Um, so here's how I memorized it. You can read this on the screen. And we know that all things work together for good for them that love God to them who are called according to his purpose. King James, right? That's, that's what I memorized. And you can see it's a little bit different in the ESV, but really the only difference is that these two clauses at the end, these two statements to them that love God, to them who are called according to the purpose, they're, they're split up. So you have one of those clauses at the front, and then you have all things work for good in the middle, and then you have those called to his purpose. So that, that's the ESV anyway. If you have an ESV Bible, that's a little closer to the Greek. And we know that for, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So just to be clear, this, this working out for good is limited to those who are called according to God's purposes and who love God. Those two spheres, and really those are the same sphere. Paul's talking about Christians here. He's talking about those who have faith in Christ. He's talking about those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If that's you, Harvest Decatur, if you have faith in Christ, if you love God, you've been called according to God's purpose, and God will bring about your ultimate good no matter what you go through in this life. Every good, every bad thing in life, God is going to use that to bring about an ultimate good. That is a promise that God gives you, and I'll just tell you right now, you need that promise in your life. If you don't need it right now, you're going to need it someday. So, Put it on layaway and come back to it when you need to. Some of you, in the, you know, I don't, I don't know, some of you might need to hear this right now. Romans 8, 28. And I, I don't know your situation. Some of you might call me this week and say, Pastor Tony, something horrible happened. And, you know, I have a chance this morning to get out in front of that because when I come to your house, like I said, I'm not going to lead with Romans 8.28. So I want you to hear it now and have it stored away so that when I come, I don't, I don't even have to say it. You just know it. You just know it in the depth of your being, even though your feelings maybe don't sense it at that moment. You can just know it. You can just have it. God is going to use this horrible thing, this tragic thing, this horrible thing for his good. I know it. 
even though I can't sense it right now. And let's flip the script on, on this, okay? Let's say something tragic happens in my life this week. That can happen. This is horrible, something tragic. You come to my house and you comfort me. Don't comfort me with God didn't know this was gonna happen, Pastor Tony. Don't do that. I don't need to hear that. I don't need to hear, well, you know, Satan pulled a fast one on God, Tony, you know. He just got in there and God didn't know what was happening. That is terrifying to me. The only thing more terrifying to me than bad things happening in this world is that God is not in control of everything that's happening in this world. You know what I need assurance of in those moments? That God is gonna work even that tragic thing for good. And that is emblazoned on my soul and I know that. I know that. And I want you to know that too. And if you're younger than 25 years old, or you're younger than 18, and, you, and nothing I'm saying today makes sense. You just put that away. You're going to need that someday. You just put that on layaway. Do you all know what layaway is? If you're... <laughs> Do people do that anymore? We used to do that in the late 1900s. (laughs) (laughs) Write this down as number four. Here's another thing that God works in our lives. You might say, goodness gracious, Pastor Tony, God helps us in our weakness. God, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. God turns all of our bad things into good. How could it be any better than this? Could Could there be anything more that God does for us? Yes, I'll give you two more things. Number four and number five. And I'll I'll tell you right now, number five is better than number four. (laughs) But let's start with number four. God conforms you to the image of Christ. Paul says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You might say, who's that, Pastor Tony? Who is, who are the foreknown predestined ones? Well, again, that's you. If you have faith in Christ, if you love God, if you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you are, according to this passage, foreknown by God and predestined by him. There's a word for this. We call them Christians. And in God's grand scheme of things, there there are two categories. There's Christians and non-Christians. There are believers and unbelievers. There is sheep and there is goat in Jesus' words. There is wheat and there is weed. Those are your categories. So if this is you, if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you were foreknown and predestined by God. And I know this is hard for us to understand because we are limited by time. We are finite, finite creatures. God is not. God is infinite. God lives outside of time. So he knew you. He knew your faith. He chose you before even time began. According to Ephesians 1, before the foundations of the world, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. There's another memorizable verse for you. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. And part of God's plan, even before the foundations of this world, was that we would be conformed to Jesus Christ. What does that mean, conformed? What does it mean to be conformed to Christ? Well, the Greek word is sumorphos, Sumorphos. It means to have a similar form or nature. 
You probably see that word morph in that Greek word, sumorphos. It means that we change form. We metamorphosize like bullfrogs and butterflies. We become like Christ. We conform to the image of Christ. And this is done by imputed righteousness. We are declared righteous before God, but that imputed righteousness starts to demonstrate itself in empirical righteousness. And we start to act like Jesus, and we start to do stuff, and you're like, well, wow, I didn't used to do that. What happened? The Holy Spirit's doing something. Now, now I'm starting to act like Christ. I wasn't before. That's what it means, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And someday that, that whole process is going to be complete because you're going to have a body like Christ. You're going to have a resurrection body like him. That's what it means to be conformed. God conforms us. He's continually conforming us into the image of Christ. Why does God do that? Why does God want to do that? Look at the end of verse 29. In order that he, who's the he? In order that the son, in order that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. Listen, I've said this before. Jesus Christ is our Lord. Isn't he now? He's our Savior. He's the God of the universe, created the universe, according to Colossians 1. But also, according to Scripture, Jesus is our big brother. And when I say big brother, I don't mean the government, okay? I mean, he's... He is the son of the son of God and by his death upon the cross we might become the children of God. And and we can even call him brother. Big brother Jesus. You mean I'm a brother of Jesus Christ, Pastor Tony? Hey, Paul said it, not me. Yes, you are a brother of Christ Jesus. His inheritance is your inheritance. His future is your future. Remember that song I quoted several months back by the Citizens? There's nothing better than to know we belong. We've been adopted by the Father of love. Our brothers suffered on the cross in our place. We are kids of grace. That is who we are. John Calvin said, and there is no doubt at all that we are all joined to God by means of, our, by means of Jesus, seeing he is our true brother, and for that reason also he is called our brother. And as Christ's, Brothers, we are being conformed into his image. And this, this is actually where the metaphor of this brother relationship kind of breaks down for me because, you know, I, I am a big brother and I tried to conform my little brother into my image. It didn't work. He's his own man, but now I, I'm the little brother. Now I'm the little brother for the first time. Well, I have an older sister. But now I'm the little brother of Jesus Christ. And, and I don't know about you, but I want to be like big brother. I want to be like him. I want to be conformed to his image. Holy Spirit, do that. Because I got some stuff right here that it doesn't look like Jesus. Can you deal with this? Yes, God can. And yes, he will. And not only does God conform us into Christ's image, you can write this down as number five. Here's, here's what I said. It's even better than number four. God assures you of a glorious future. Can I interest you in that, Harvest Decatur? God assures you of it. 
God assures you that you will be like big brother Jesus. You will be like Jesus. Your future resurrection body will be like his resurrection body right now. Your eternity will be his eternity. Your future will be his future. Your joy will be his joy. Your life in, in the new Jerusalem written about in the book of Revelation will be Jesus' life in the, in the new Jerusalem and we will live with him and we will dwell with him forever and ever and ever. Amen. Can I interest you in that? Paul says here, look at verse 30. Let's, let's finish this up. He says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, every one of them, he also justified. Are you justified, harvesticator? Remember what that means? Just as if I never sinned at all? Have you been declared righteous before God through your faith in Christ? Now what is Paul saying here in this last verse? Let's just be clear. If you have been justified, if you have been justified, I mean, I know I asked you that question and you're proud of it, but don't, don't, don't pat yourself on the back too much, okay? Because what Paul is saying here is that you didn't do the work. It's the one who predestined you that did the work. Look at these are, I mean, these are passive verses. He predestined us. He, you know, he justified us. So in other words, don't get cocky about this, okay? Don't think that you're more clever than everybody else out there, than your, you know, your idiot brother-in-law in Sacramento who can't figure this stuff out. That's not the way that God wants you to respond to this. This is God's work. This is what God has done. Because Paul says here that your justification was a result of predestination. God chose you before you ever chose him. God did the work who, who is the subject of those verbs? Let's just think about this here. Who is the he in verse 30? And those whom he predestined, and those whom he called, who, who did that? You might say, well, I did that, Pastor. I predestined myself before the foundation of the world. I justified myself. No, who's the... <laughs> I'm glad we can have some fun with this. I love having fun with grammar. Who's the he? God is the he. You know who you are in that verse? You know who you are in verse 30? You are the whom. You are the those. Those whom. God did the work. God predestined those whom are predestined. God did this work. He justified you. God also, those whom he justified, he glorified. Let me read this again. Those whom God predestined God also called and those whom God called God also justified and those whom God justified God also glorified so just to be clear God did this for you God did all these things for you what do I do Pastor Tony what do I do then here's what you do you worship him you praise him you give him glory Paul's about to do that like crazy at the end of this chapter in verses 31 through 39 you want to get a head start on that read that this week Doxology, just go, it, Paul just goes nuts with how awesome God is. God gets the praise for this. God did these things for us. And let me close with this. I'm about done. I'll close with this, just a little 
point of grammar, if I could. Sorry, you know, I, I like sometimes I like to close on an anecdote or fun story. I don't have one of those today, okay? So, you know what I have? I have a tasty piece of Greek grammar for you. Can I, can I share this with you? Look at that last word in verse 30. Stay with me here. You see that word glorified? Everybody see that? This is the Greek word doxazo. You probably see the English word doxology in that word. Well, that word doxazo in verse 30 is in the aorist tense in Greek, which is typically used for past tense action. And, and that makes sense. All, all these verbs in verse 30 are past tense. It makes, it makes sense. With predestined, that happened in the past from our perspective. Called, that happened in the past. Justified. But then you get to glorified. And you think to yourself, glory, wait, past tense? That hadn't happened yet. Pastor, Ta- Pastor Tony, if I've been glorified already, this, this ain't that glorious, what I got going on right here. Why in the world does Paul use a past tense verb for that? Well, you know what scholars say about this is that Paul put this verb glorified, doxazo, in the past tense, even though it's a future reality because it is so sure that this is going to happen. We are so confident that our glorification is coming soon, that we're going to get new glorified bodies and live with Jesus forever. Paul is so confident that that is going to happen, he put it in the past tense. And, and actually, Greek grammarians, they talk about this as being a futurist, aorist. Sometimes Paul likes to do this. Sometimes he, li- he likes to let you know, you know, that glorification thing that's coming in the future, it's, it's already happened. It's as good as done. It is good as done, people. And you might say, well, God's done everything, Pastor Tony. He's done everything. He's justified us. He's called us. He's going to glorify us someday. He's, he's praying for us. He's interceding for us. He's working all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's done all these things. What, what am I to do? What, what's left to do, Pastor Tony? I'll tell you what we can do, and we can do it right now. We can bless his name. We can worship him. And we can say together, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Let's do that. Worship team, go ahead and come up. Let's bow in a word of prayer. God, as the pastor of Harvest Decatur, as an elder here, I want to ask you right now, Lord, that you would use the truths that we looked at today to give comfort to your people, those watching right now at home, those in the sanctuary. Lord, this is a being text. This is a resting text. 
This is about our identity. As the children of God, as little brothers and sisters to Jesus Christ. Lord, and I know the temptations that come into our lives. I know what the accuser wants to do. He wants to tell us, you aren't good enough. You aren't loved. You aren't chosen. You aren't justified. You lost this great thing that we honestly never gained in our own power. Lord, I pray that right now you would silence the accusations of the enemy. She would assure those in this room that they belong to you, that they are loved, that they are justified, not by their own work, but by the work that you did for them. Our faith saves us, not our work. And Lord, this is truly one of the great things that we can give back to you. We can't pay you back for what you did for us. Our worship, our songs will never be enough. We don't worship you to pay you back. This isn't quid pro quo. Lord, we do it because we love you. We do it because you're worthy of it. It's the overflow of our heart, our desire to praise your name and worship you as our Savior. So receive our worship now. Receive our praise.